Today, our first passage of scripture comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 and 28. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And 28, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And in Hebrews, found on page 853 of your Bible, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. This is the word of the Lord. We're in the final of a series that we've been doing called Grace is Greater Than. If you look at the cover of your bulletin, uh, just sent a very uh, cleverly, uh, had the mathematical symbol there, greater than, because that's what we're talking about, grace is greater than. Uh, A number of weeks ago, we talked about how grace is greater than our sin. Two weeks ago, we talked about how grace is greater than our wrongs, that is, wrongs that have been committed toward us by other people, and that God's grace can get us even through those difficult times. And last week, we talked about grace is greater than our weaknesses. This morning, as we've heard in song, we're talking about how grace is greater than our circumstances. Now, let me begin with this. What is the earliest writing of the New Testament? Does anybody know? Just a little trivia here. Anybody know what the earliest writing of the New Testament was? Anybody want to take a guess at it? Was it one of the Gospels? I would think it was Mark. And Mark is the earliest Gospel that was written, but there were things that were written by Paul that predated John Mark even. Anybody want to take a stab at it? What's our Scripture passage this morning? Anybody want to take a stab at it? What is it? 1 Thessalonians, very good, yeah. 1 Thessalonians earliest writing we have in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians, which I find interesting because it deals primarily with what they called the parousia, the second coming of Jesus. Some of them were thinking that Jesus had already come back, and they were worried about it because they thought they were left behind, right? And, and they were concerned about that. They were fearful about that. And Paul basically writes that letter to, to quell their concerns. He says, don't worry about that. No, he hasn't returned yet. Focus on your ministries at hand. Focus on this day. And and the thing is, though, not only were they fearful that, that maybe it hadn't shown up, the biggest thing was they were simply tired of being persecuted. They were yearning for Jesus to come back. They were facing every kind of persecution you can think of, not, not just physical, but verbal and emotional, even economic oppression because they're this new, strange, little upstart cult-like group called the Christians. And so they're just yearning for Jesus to come on back and make life easier. Have you ever felt that way? Uh, you, you look at the state of maybe your life or the life of whatever, and you think, gosh, it'd be great if he would just show back up. That's what they were struggling with. And Paul says, don't worry about that, focus on the day. In fact, he really sums it up in verses 16 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's look at that again. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. A lot of us probably learned it growing up, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. By the way, that letter part, this is God's will for you. Why would God say that? Does he just want everybody praising him and giving thanks all the time? No, really, he wants us to experience his grace. Uh, Without that grace, we really don't have any reason to offer our thanks and pray continually and be rejoicing. He wants us to have that, therefore we will have reason to 
rejoice. That's his will. Now, it's really interesting how you see he closes his letter, and that's why I had Lauren read uh, verse 28. This is the very last sentence of the whole letter. Read it with me, will you? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. One more time. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do a, a quick survey of all of Paul's epistles, and you find out that with the exception of one of his letters, he closes every one of them with something like this, basically saying, don't fail to receive God's grace. Hang on to God's grace. Every one of his letters ends with this strong word about hanging on to the grace of God. Now, why would he do that? Well, really, it makes no sense to give thanks in all circumstances if you don't have that grace. To, to give thanks in all circumstances without the grace of God, I even find a little ridiculous. I find it a little absurd. But because of his grace, which supersedes and is superior to and is greater than anything that you and I ever experience, we have reason to give thanks, whatever circumstances we face. His grace is so far beyond whatever you and I might experience. And that's reason to rejoice and give thanks and pray constantly. I just want to break down those three verbs this morning is what I'll do. First of all, because God's grace is greater than our circumstances, we have reason to be joyful. Verse 16 says, be joyful always. Always be joyful. Now with that, I want to look at a passage that that we skim over sometimes and don't catch, and it's in Hebrews. We talked about that uh, just a moment ago, or it was read, Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. I love that. Look after each other so you can be sure that nobody fails to receive the grace of God. Gosh, isn't that a beautiful depiction of the church? That should mark us as a church as we grant grace to each other, receive grace from each other. That really should be what we are all about. I hope people see Brookwood Baptist Church as that kind of church that gives and receives grace on a regular basis to one another. It's really what distinguishes Christianity from other faiths is this idea of grace and and embracing it and incarnating it and offering it to other people. Now look at that second part of the verse. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. What that's saying is, as Philip Yancey calls ungrace, that can really corrupt not just an individual but a whole church body. I don't see that happening here, but we need to always be cautious about that to make sure that we are really truly receiving and embracing God's grace for ourselves and granting it to other people. But we do run the risk of missing grace sometimes. We run the risk of, 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 the risk of missing it, especially when you and I are going through some challenging circumstances. And yet... <sighs> Do we fail to remember just how blessed we are, especially when we look at the magnitude of struggles that someone else might be going through uh, other than ourselves? Uh, Let let me just mention this one person. In fact, I'm going to step down here so you all can see the pictures. But some of us know of Richard Stearns. He's the uh, author of The Hole in Our Gospel, which a lot of us have read. Just a powerful, powerful book about taking the whole gospel to the whole world. He's the head of World Vision. And he wrote about uh, visiting a church in Haiti recently in Port-au-Prince, and the church was basically made up of, of white tarps that were put together with duct tape. And that's all there was. And he recounts when he went there and what he saw. And he was particularly touched by one particular woman uh, uh, whom he saw who had been through a lot. But she was leading the praise worship. And I think we have some pictures of it. Uh, so as I read this from something that Richard wrote, I'd love for you just to look at the, look at the pictures up here. Uh, this was at a, uh, a homeless, uh, sprawling uh, uh, village, township, with just thousands of homeless people. He said, in the front row sat six amputees ranging in age from 6 to 60 in this church where they began to worship. They were clapping and smiling as they sang song after song and lifted their prayers to God. 
The worship was so full of hope and with thanksgiving to the Lord. No one was singing louder or, more, or praying more fervently than Demosi Lufine, a 32-year-old unemployed single mother of two. During the earthquake, a collapsed building had crushed her right arm and left leg. After four days, both limbs had to be amputated. She was leading the choir, leading prayers, standing on her prosthesis, and lifting her one hand high in praise to God. Following the service, I met Demosi's two daughters, ages eight and ten. Three of them now live in a tent five feet tall and perhaps eight feet wide. Despite losing her job, her home, and two limbs, she is deeply grateful because God spared her life on January 12th last year when the earthquake hit. She said, he brought me back like Lazarus, giving me the gift of life. She believes she survived the devastating quake for two reasons, to raise her girls and to continue praising and serving her Lord for a few more years. And Richard comments, he says, it makes no sense to me as an entitled American who grouses at the smallest inconveniences, a clogged drain or slow Wi-Fi connection uh, in my home, yet here in this place many people who had lost everything express nothing but praise. He said, I find my own sense of charity toward these people like Demosi inadequate. They have so much more to offer me than I to them. I feel pity and sadness for them, but it is they who might better pity me for the shallowness of my own walk with Christ and my failure to rejoice in my blessings. Whatever your circumstances, are you rejoicing in what God offers to you and how he's blessed you? We look at people like this and we wonder, are we offering thanks to God and blessing God as we should? Because grace is greater than our circumstances, we can rejoice, but we can also give thanks. Again, that wonderful verse, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I want you to notice that this is Paul saying that. Paul is saying give thanks in all circumstances. We talked about this a week or two ago, but you talk about somebody who had a, <laughs> a bad circumstantial resume. Nobody worse than Paul. And yet he says to rejoice. I think we have, an, and we're going to look at it one more time, 1 Corinthians 11, where he basically runs down all these thing he, things he's been through. He's having to boast because he's trying to reach these Corinthians who, who you know, are just not listening to him, and they're so big on their own resumes. He's like, you want a resume of someone who's taken a stand for Christ? Well, let me show you mine, though I don't want to, and I feel like a fool doing this. But let's look at that. He recounts all these things that he's been through. Oh, yeah, right here. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. Do you think he's in danger, by the way? In danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And as you read on, he says, all this and then all these churches I have founded that I'm trying to keep straight and stable and doctrinally sound. You look at that and you think, how does he do it? But all the more, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what. Now, how can he say that? How could Paul say that, having gone through so much? Clearly, quite simply, he he has a grasp on what grace is all about. He ends all his letters with that. It reminds me of our friend John Claypool, who was the wonderful Episcopalian priest down the road here at St. Luke's, and one of the great preachers, really, of our time, and some of you all know this from his book, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, where it, you know, he, he recounts uh, the death of his daughter, Laura Lou, to leukemia, but in the long run, his big mantra was always what? Could, does somebody know this? Life is what? Does anybody know? Life is gift. 
Well, folks in the first service knew that. Life is gift. Or you could say life is grace. If you ever talk to John Claypool, he would always say the essence of life is gratitude. And we look at all these, these circumstances we might be facing, but when we look at the grace we receive, we have reason to be thankful. Now, the word thanksgiving in the New Testament is eucharisto. It's where we get the word Eucharist, uh, like celebrating the Lord's Supper, celebrating communion. It's the way Catholic uh, brothers and sisters uh, uh, celebrate it, and they call it the Eucharist. It literally means, it's combining two words, good and gift. It literally means giving thanks for the good gift, or giving thanks for the good grace. And his good grace begins not just because of what he gives us even when we are in difficult circumstances, but because of who he is. What do I mean by that? I realize this in a significant way. Um, a number of years ago when I was a minister to the university at Sanford, there was a student there named Deanna Gibson. and uh, Or not Deanna Gibson, Deanna's here actually. I think her name was, uh, uh, oh shoot, I've got, Noelle Gibson. Noelle Gibson, sorry. Noelle Gibson. And her father was terminally ill at the time uh, when she was, I think, a sophomore. And uh, she was at Samford uh, as he went through this terminal illness, and she was still there after he passed on. But I was just amazed at how she handled all of that. Uh, I mean, she grieved authentically and truthfully and all that, but I mean, through it all, she was just an amazing person of faith. And I remember asking her at some point later after he had passed on, how have you managed this so well? You've really done this in a way that seems to be kind of beyond your years. And she said, you know, my father, while he was dying, reminded me every day that I really have two fathers. I have him, a biological dad, but I also have my heavenly father, my holy father. And, and she said, that kind of got me through. And she said, he encouraged me to give thanks to God every day just for who he is to me. She said, I wanted to just give thanks for the time I had with my dad, but she said, my dad encouraged me to give thanks for who God is. And she said, I just started thinking about who he is and, and as creator, as redeemer, as sustainer, as savior, as Lord. And I would just give him thanks simply for who he is, not what he does for me, not just how he's getting me through these things, but just for who he is. She said, it reminded me on a daily basis that he is superior, he is sovereign over anything that I might be facing. She said, that kept me going. I thought that was just amazing for this young lady to understand that. She said, because of this, she said, I've been able to live a life of gratitude simply for praising him for who he is. And you see this reflected in Scripture, by the way. The word Eucharisto and Thanksgiving in Scripture, it's rarely, if ever, maybe once, maybe twice, it's used to give thanks to God for being there in certain circumstances. The word Eucharisto, Thanksgiving, is most often used virtually every time just reflecting on God and who he is, no matter what the circumstances are. His holiness, his sovereignty, his compassion, his love, his justice, and it goes on. And we give thanks for that, and that reminds us. And it reminds us of nothing else. What is our theme this year? It's what? All his. It's all his. It's all his story, as we've talked about. You and I are just so incredibly blessed simply to be a part of it. We're indeed blessed just to be a part of it. Which brings us to this. How intent are you on giving thanks to God regardless of the circumstances you're facing? Whatever it might be. I, I, I mentioned Alexander McLaren last week, the pastor from the 1890s who said, be kind to everyone because everyone is fighting some battle at any given time. Well, let me ask you this morning. If I were just to ask you and it was just you and me one-on-one somewhere, what is the battle you're facing now? What is the challenge you're facing in your own life? Is it some fear you have? Well, God's grace is greater than that fear. 
Is it lust that you're struggling with? Well, you know what? God is greater than your lust. Is it some pressures you're feeling at work? Well, God is greater than those pressures that you're sensing at work. Is it your frustrations with joblessness right now? Well, you know what? God's grace is greater than that. Is it, is it loneliness? Well, God's grace is greater than that. Is it your divorce that you're facing or have gone through? Well, God's grace is greater than that. God's grace is greater than your illness. God's grace is greater than these doubts you're having. God's grace is greater than, than these uncertainties about the future that you're having. God's grace is greater than this guilt you've been carrying around. It's greater than maybe that secret sin you've been carrying around. It's greater than your anger, your anxiety. Whatever it is for you personally, trust that his grace is greater than that particular circumstance, that particular struggle of yours. What's your battle right now? And are you in a place where you can still pray prayers of thanksgiving? And that really brings us to the final thing I wanted to say this morning. Let's put our main verses up here again, verses 16 through 18. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. What's sandwiched in the middle there? We've talked about rejoicing and being thankful. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. And in context here, it's really saying never stop praying in a spirit of joy and thanksgiving, which brings me to the Amidah prayer. Has anybody ever heard of the Amidah prayer? We should know more about this, and I think we should probably conduct this uh, even more uh, often uh, in the future. It's also known as the 18 benediction. It's the central prayer of Jewish worship and has been so since the first century, since the very first century. Devout Jews to this day go and worship three times a day, offering 18 benedictions three different times, morning, afternoon, and evening. In fact, it's talked about in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Do we have that up there? Yeah. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. That's the 3 o'clock Amidah service that they had every day. And what you do is you go through and recite these 18 benedictions, and they all end in the same way, and you can fill in the blank yourself when you get to those, which is, blessed are you, O Lord, who... That's fascinating because they'll recite all this stuff, but at the end, you can just to yourself say, blessed are you, O Lord, who has given me, why why do you want to bless him? Why do you want to bless him? Why do you want to give thanks to him this day? Why do you want to praise him this day? Blessed are you, O Lord, who has given me an amazing uh, friend, an amazing family. Blessed are you, O Lord, simply who is so sovereign. Uh, Blessed are you, O Lord, who is there for me uh, to comfort me when I'm alone. Whatever it might be, whatever it might be. And then you can do that 18 times. Now, I want you to think about that Devout Jews even to this day do that, and they offer 18 benedictions three times a day. I'm not a mathematician. How many, how many benedictions is that total? How many? 54? Okay, 54, thank you. 54 blessings every day that they voice. They actually stand and voice. Amidah prayer means the standing prayer. You actually stand up and voice these blessings back to God because of how he's blessed you. Well, what about you and me? Can we offer just a few of those? In just a second, we're we're, going to do just that. Look look in your bulletin, if you would, like on the left-hand side and on the right-hand side, it actually says, blessed are you, O Lord, who? We're going to have an opportunity here just to voice some of our own benedictions. Now, benedictions means literally good words. In other words, these are blessings back to God because of how you've been blessed by him. Whether it's because of something he's given you, whether it's how he's brought you through a difficult time, or, or as my uh, student said, uh, uh, you know, Noel, it's just who he is as sovereign, as, as uh, judge, as, as love, as whatever it might be. Uh, 
But we're going to do that in just a moment. Don't feel like you got to, and I don't want just this to be some kind of a perfunctory, yeah, I'll write a few things down, this is nice. I want us to meditate about this in just a minute. Uh, to set the tone, though, we're actually going to do what devout Jews do at the very end of the 18 benedictions before what they call the prayer of peace or the prayer of shalom. They actually recite something that's about a paragraph long. I know you and I don't know it by heart, so we're going to do it in the form of a responsive reading. What we're going to do is go to the very close of the Amidah prayer, but then you and I are going to go back, we're going to sit down and have a moment of meditation, and then write down a few blessings back to God. If nothing else, let's try to fill that left-hand side with nine blessings back to God, and then you can take the next nine on the other side that make up the 18 and do that some point later. I I would challenge you, I would invite you to take this and keep it with you and come up with nine more before you go to sleep this evening. So I'd like for us to begin by praying that prayer that they always pray at the close of the Amidah. What I'd like for you to do would be to stand up, please. And you and I will read this responsively. And if you will uh, follow with me when we get to the yellow lettering, I'll, I'll go through that with you and I'll read the white. We acknowledge to you, O Lord, that you are our God. You are our God as you were the God of our ancestors forever and ever. Rock of our life, shield of our help, you are immutable from age to age. We thank you and utter your praise for our lives that are delivered into your hands and for our souls that are entrusted to you and for your miracles that are with us every day and for your marvelously kind deeds that are of every time, evening and morning and noontide. You are good for your mercies are endless You are merciful, for your kindnesses never are complete. From everlasting we have hoped in you. And for all these things, may your name be blessed and exalted always and forevermore. And all the living will give thanks to you and praise your great name and truth, God, our salvation and help. Bless you, O Lord, your name is good, and to you we offer our thanksgivings. If you would be seated now. And as uh, those of the faith out of which Christianity was birthed, um, I'd like to ask that you begin just by uh, bowing your heads in prayer. And I want you to, first of all, before we even write anything down, let's engage in a moment of, of meditation, disciplined meditation. I want you to consider what you might write down now. Like, like, what are some ways, even in the most difficult of times, that God was there for you? What are some ways that he's blessed you as of late? Is there a person who's been such a blessing to you? Is it something that came along your way that was a good thing? Or was it a trial that you went through and he helped bring you through? Or is it just something about him, his majesty, his holiness, his sovereignty, his love, his grace, whatever it might be? Consider those as well and just let those settle in your mind and in your heart. Think of a few things for which you wish to bless God back in just a moment. Take a moment and meditate on that.
as we carry over this practice from one faith out of which came the Christian faith, we ask that we would take it seriously and, and, and do so reverently and obediently to you, uh, just as others do uh, by the millions each, each day, three times a day. We pray that now you would give us a moment simply to put um, ink to paper and, and to bless you back. And we pray that even as we write these words, that we would be blessing you back with our hearts and in a sense voicing blessings back to you. Thank you for your grace, which overcomes and is superior to and is sovereign over whatever difficulties we face. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whose grace and gracious act on the cross gives us reason to bless you back. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, as the music continues to play, just recount some of those on that left-hand side and just take a moment, no rush, and just write down some of those blessings, those ways you want to bless God back because of who he is for what he's done. that's okay. Let's, let's bow our heads and just look at the words you've written and, and offer these blessings back to God silently.
Lord, these are but a fragment, but a small handful of the multitude of blessings you offer us each and every day. So we ask that as we sing of your deep love for us, uh, help us to take that to heart and not only embrace it for ourselves, which is sometimes hard to do because we feel like we do not deserve it, but again, uh, help us to embrace it that we might grant that grace to others to see to it, as it says in Hebrews, that others don't fail to receive the grace of God. Help us to be receivers of grace, but also agents of it for others. Thank you for your deep love for us, O God, and we pray that as we sing this, we mean it. Amen.